0: Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia.
1: Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. Everybody okay? Whew. Y'all keep breathing for me and I'll keep appreciating it. Uh, Matthew 18, chapter uh, verse 1. About that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them, and he said to the disciples to answer their question, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins, disciples, and you become like little children, disciples, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray that you give us the wisdom to understand your word today, but to go far beyond that and that you give us the courage to do your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in uh, a series called Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. Humility, the Key to Childlike Faith. And it's rooted in in the understanding of what Jesus just said in that passage, that if we're going to be effective in the kingdom of God, if we're even going to be in the kingdom of God, then we have to be truly and authentically humble from the inside out. Not acting humble, presenting humbly, but being humble. And obviously the battle that we're going to fight in trying to become humble, like the Lord was humble, is the fight that we have against pride. Now, last week we talked about the fact that pride prevents progress, that it prevents personal progress, and, and it certainly, definitely prevents spiritual progress because God himself, according to James chapter 4 and verse uh, 7, that, it, he, uh, that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the, to the humble. He actively works against those who allow pride to define their lives, And so today I want to talk about something else that uh, pride prevents, and that is pride prevents spiritual intimacy. Pride prevents spiritual intimacy. Now, the word intimacy has a lot of different applications, a lot of different contexts and connotations. The world has sort of locked in uh, most people's thinking, the, the, the sexual intimacy. So when you hear that word, that's what you automatically think of. But intimacy can be defined and applied in a much broader context. But no matter how you apply it or how you uh, how you define it, there are always some commonalities about intimacy. Intimacy always includes elements of mutuality and vulnerability, safety and trust in the context of the relationship. Uh, Intimacy always includes honesty and openness. And unless both parties in an intimate relationship, both parties embrace those elements we just talked about, then that relationship not only lacks intimacy, but it morphs into something that's unhealthy and unpleasant uh, and unfulfilling for both parties. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't, I don't know where you're going with this, John. I don't know what any of this has to do with, with the childlike faith of the kingdom. What does intimacy have to do with that? Well, really a couple of things. First of all, like in, in the most appropriate way possible, okay, so in, in age appropriate and, and in every way, but like who does intimacy better than kids? Now, think about this. Like they have no personal space. Like. All up in it, all right. They just no, no. There's no such thing as too close. The closer, the better. Like there's always this mutuality with them that they are just as concerned, just as invested in you as you are in them. Like you, if you don't believe me, you get sick, you get hurt, and you see how how you get a helicopter kid. Like they want to take care of you and they want to bring you burnt toast and they want to, you know, because that cures everything. They want to do everything for you because they are, they are invested and there's a mutuality about the relationship. It's not one way. There's, there's vulnerability with kids. There's honesty. There's openness. Kids will say anything. Right? Just, they'll tell you what they think even if you don't ask. They'll tell you how they're feeling. They'll tell you they need to potty. They'll tell you everything, whether you want it. It's just this complete, open, they are an open book. An open book. Kids trust completely. They feel safest when they're closest to you. That's the, that is the definition of intimacy. That's like That's what it looks like. And kids crave it. As a matter of fact, they need it. At a biological level, they have to have it. And if they don't get that kind of intimacy from their parents at a very early age, every other relationship they'll ever have is going to be harder. And all the other developmental markers get skewed. That's how important intimacy is in a relationship. The other thing that intimacy has to do with childlike faith is this. What is it that prevents a parent Uh, A parent's relationship prevents the intimacy uh, between a parent and a child. What is it that gets in the way? It's pride. It's pride. Usually, pride manifested as selfishness. This is what I mean. Parents are too busy with other things that they consider more important to invest in the intimacy with the child. They're too distracted by uh, other things that they like better or would prefer to do. Parents are too addicted to a drink or a drug or a hobby to even notice there is a need that needs to be met. It's pride. It's putting themselves and their preferences Over the relationship. And unless there's some sort of developmental problem with the child, the issue with intimacy in the parent child relationship is never the child. It's the pride of the parent. In our relationship with God, the Heavenly Father, it's the opposite. He is perfect and holy and loving, He is always attentive. He's always ready to be open and honest and and fully present in every moment. He wants to hear from us and share with us. We're the ones who get busy. We're the ones who get distracted. We're the ones who get addicted to all the other things that are in our lives. Too busy to invest in the intimacy of the relationship. It's important to us. But it's important to God. In the Garden of Eden, he created Adam and Eve and walked with them in the cool of the day, right? He wanted an intimate relationship with them. Jesus, it was the same way in Jesus' walk here on earth in ministry. In John 15, he, he said this, John 15 and, and verse 4, he said, Remain in me and I'll remain in you. Like it doesn't get more intimate than that. Because a branch can't produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. And then in John 17, the last night of his life on the earth, the last prayer that he got to pray before he started the the journey towards the cross in in the next 12 hours. Jesus said this, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one and and, and as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. That may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. The heart of Jesus towards us is, a, is an intimate relationship, so intimate and so life-affecting that even unsaved people notice the relationship and, and they get saved as a result. The life of a follower of Jesus is, by design and by desire of the Father, a life that is in intimate relationship with Him. If there's an intimacy problem in our relationship with God, and there, and that's the case for millions of believers around the world, specifically American believers, if there's a problem, an intimacy problem in our relationship with God, the problem's not God, and the and pride is right at the top of the list of suspects. Pride prevents spiritual intimacy. Now, by way of spiritual proof of this connection or I guess maybe disconnection between pride and intimacy, God, we've already established God had this intimate relationship with Adam and Eve. Well, what happened to it? What, what broke it? Original sin, right? They ate the fruit. They, so why did they eat the fruit? What was the temptation rooted in? It was rooted in pride. They ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because they wanted to be like God. They wanted what they wanted, even though God said they couldn't have it. The, the enemy made them think that God was keeping something from them that would help them, when God never does that. And their assumption, their false assumption, hurt their pride, and they found out only too late that God wasn't keeping anything from them. He was keeping them from pain and separation. Pride prevents spiritual intimacy. I've heard people say, man, it must have been so incredible to be able to walk and talk with God like that, like just shoulder to shoulder, ask him anything that you want to know, and being able to hear him back just so clearly and so plainly, and pride messed that up. Well, guess what? Pride still messes that up I had someone that told me this week uh, after last week's services they've been trying to hear from God um, about a situation for a long time and they're just getting nothing just sort of divine silence brass heavens I think is what we like to call it in the church we've all been there right and they told me that after coming to the altar last week and, and repenting of pride they immediately heard his voice they knew exactly what he wanted them to do And that person believes, and I agree with them, that it was the pride that prevented them from hearing God's voice and it was the humility of repentance that restored the relationship and restored the communication. God's always talking about a relationship of spiritual intimacy. When He invites you into a relationship with Him, when He invites you to be saved, He's always talking about A relationship of spiritual intimacy. Anything less than that. Anything less than intimacy. And you're living beneath, not only beneath your privilege, but you're living outside His will for the relationship. And maybe the real danger is that if pride does prevent true intimacy, pride still wants something that looks like intimacy. So it'll create something. It'll create a counterfeit. Something that gives the appearance of intimacy, but without the vulnerability, without the transparency, without the humility of it. Now I want to show you a really familiar passage of Scripture and, and, and show you that this is rooted in pride. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Paul said, listen, Timothy, you should know this, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Perilous times will come, King James says. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving, unforgiving, slander others, have no self-control, they'll be cruel, they'll hate what's good, they'll betray their friends, they'll be reckless, they'll be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Now, as if that wasn't bad enough, look at verse 5. They will act religious, but they'll reject the power that could make them godly. They'll have King James this is kind of more, more familiar. It says they'll have a form of godliness, right? But they'll deny the power. And, and, and Paul finishes up this little passage by saying, stay away from people like that. Stay away from people like that. Did you see how many times the word was not just stated, but then described as well? Pride. We're going to talk about some of those specifically in just a few minutes. But but do you see the result of pride? They had a form of godliness, but they denied the power of godliness. Now, what's the power of godliness? Well, what did Jesus say that would get you into the kingdom, The, the thing that would determine your effectiveness and even your entrance into the kingdom? Humility. He said, unless you get humble like this little child, you ain't even getting in. So when proud people refuse to humble themselves enough to have an actual intimate relationship with Jesus, they create a religion instead. Religion is something that appears to be a relationship, but lacks the humility to produce the intimacy. Let me put it this way. Pride creates religion. Intimacy creates uh, sorry, humility creates intimacy. Pride creates religion. Humility creates intimacy. And there's a difference. Pride creates a form. Humility creates freedom. Now do you see the, how important humility is in our walk with Jesus? Without it, we can't have intimacy. And when we can't have real intimacy, we'll seek to satisfy ourselves with this external fake version. And the scariest part of this whole deal is that when we cut ourselves off from intimacy with God for long enough, we might not even notice the difference when we've replaced him with religion. So John, how do I know I've fallen for religion rather than relationship? Well, let's take an example we used last week from King David's life. This would be in um, 2 Samuel. The prophet Nathan confronted him about his sin with Bathsheba, right? And what did David do? Immediately, he repented. Immediately, he humbled himself. He said, oh yeah, that's me. I'm the guy. I've done it. I've sinned against God. And he he completely wanted to know what he needed to do to get back in right relationship with God his predecessor on the throne was Saul, King Saul. And and Saul had his own set of sins and issues. And, And there was a prophet who confronted him about his sin, Samuel. And when Samuel confronted him, he said, nope, that didn't happen. And then when Samuel presented obvious and overwhelming evidence that he could no longer deny, then he said, yes, I did it, but it wasn't my fault. It was other people's fault. And then he said, But will you come back with me so we can worship in front of the elders and the people of Israel? David's immediate recognition, or kind of what we say now, David's hot take on the situation was, I've sinned against God. Samuel's hot take in the moment, this is going to make me look bad. How do you know if you've settled for religion over intimacy? when you're confronted with your own sin, if you're more concerned about what it looks like than you are about what it does with your relationship with Jesus, then you've accepted imitation over intimacy. When you're presented with a genuine opportunity to worship Jesus, to serve Jesus, to witness for Jesus, if you're more concerned about your image with the world than your intimacy with God, you have a pride problem. So John, what do I do? Well, I think we can boil boil down the essence of intimacy into these three words, concepts really. If you're going to have an intimate relationship with God, um, you're going to have to do these three things. Admit, submit, commit. Admit, submit, commit. Here's what I mean. If you're going to have an intimate relationship with God, you have to admit your weakness. You you cannot come to God as an equal because you are not equal. You can't come to Him in your strength because you don't have any strength that doesn't come from Him in the first place. You can't come to him in your wisdom because you don't have any wisdom compared to the one who created the universe with a word. You can't come you can only come to him with humility, being open and honest about the reality in which you live, not trying to impress him with a show, just bare bones honest about your need for Him. You are not perfect. You are not able. You are not strong. You are not wise. And you have to admit that, that you not only don't know the right answer, you can't know the right answer apart from Him. And isn't that what confession and repentance is rooted in, in admitting that to yourself and to God? You cannot, this is maybe the most important thing I'm going to say. So if you're you're only going to tune in for like three more seconds and listen to this. You cannot have a true salvation experience if you don't humble yourself and admit you're a sinner. I don't care if you prayed the prayer. I don't care if you read the card, you did the magic word, you signed the card, checked the box, shook the hand. I don't care if you joined the church. I don't care if you've got stickers on your car. I don't care if you wear a cross around your neck. I don't care if you tote a pocket-sized Bible that the print's too small for you to actually read. I don't care about any of that. If you never admitted that you were a sinner in need of a Savior, then you are still a sinner in need of a Savior. And then once you do get saved, your intimacy with him is contingent upon your continued willingness to admit, I can't. Right? Right? We spent several weeks trying to establish that. Can't do it. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do all things. Right? But it starts with admitting you need him. So, you have to admit. The second thing is you have to submit to his authority. You have to submit to his authority. You say, John, why are we talking about intimacy and submission? That's just, you're just all over the place. It's, no, and I'm not all over the place. Uh, this, this is about faith, it's about the childlike faith that pleases God. And I can show it to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10 when Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my, so this is a Gentile soldier who's a professional assassin, basically. Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And dude said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my house. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. Nowhere else had this ever happened in the Bible. How did he know Jesus could just send the word? He said, I know this because I'm under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I just need to say, go and they go. I say, come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. dude amazed Jesus. Turning to those who were following him, he said, i tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. He hasn't seen faith. What he said about submission connected in Jesus' mind to his faith. Jesus said, "I, I know this guy's got faith greater than anybody in Israel because he understands submission to authority. So let's go back to the childlike faith that Jesus is looking for. Kids understand the authority of the parent. What the adult says goes. That's just how it is to be a kid. They understand it. Generally, they obey it. What happens in those rare occasions when your child, your little princess or prince, rebels against your authority and disrupts the intimacy of your relationship? What happens when pride takes over the mind of little Junior and Susie in your house and they act a fool? What, do you, what has to happen? They have to admit they did something wrong. Is this news to y'all? This is how parenting works, y'all. Okay, They admit they did something wrong. Thank you. Then they submit themselves back under your authority. They have to do what you tell them to do. You have, they have to do what you told them to do in the first place. Then the intimacy of the relationship can be restored and the relationship can move forward. And all y'all parents are all excited. Y'all saying, amen. Listen, it's the same for us in our relationship with our heavenly Father. Because every once in a while, we do things that we're not supposed to do. Or we just decide we ain't doing what we know we are supposed to do. Jesus said in John 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus Himself is saying you have to submit to His authority. So if we're going to have an intimate, fruitful, fulfilling relationship in the kingdom of God, we have to learn to submit. What does that look like on a daily basis? It means you do what He says. Do what He says. You follow His word, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's uncomfortable, even when you'd rather not. A perfect example of this, as always, is Jesus. Jesus said, how how did Jesus live his life? How did he live a perfect life? In John 5 and John 12, Jesus told us. He said, I only did what I saw the Father doing. And I only said what I heard the Father saying. That is complete submission to the will of the Father. So we have to admit. We have to submit. And lastly, we have to commit. We have to commit. Our relationship with God is not something that Jesus takes lightly. How, how do we know this? It, just look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at what he went through. Does that look like something that Jesus was casual about? Did that whole uh, 12 hours of his life or whatever it was, did, does that look like a take it or leave it kind of thing? Jesus was totally committed to humbling himself. This is Philippians 2. Humbling himself, laying down the mantle of deity, coming to earth, assuming the the role of a human, and going through whatever he had to go through to be the sacrifice for our sin. He was totally committed to that. What he expects in return from us is not perfection. It's total commitment. How can we be so casual about our relationship with God? How can we be so casual about the sin that we commit, knowing that it hurts the heart of God and destroys the intimacy of the relationship we're supposed to have? What does Jesus say about his followers? Well, we read it last week. He said, if you want to follow me, you got to deny yourself. That's kill that pride. Take up yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That's day after day after day of killing selfish pride and submitting yourself and your plans and your decisions to Jesus, to his will, and to his plan. That's commitment. That's commitment. And it's what Jesus wants for those who are in relationship with him. Admit, submit, commit. Those are the ingredients for intimacy, and they're based in humility. Now, let's go back to the Scripture in 2 Timothy. Let's remember all of those things, that, how, they, how Paul described people in the last days who are eat up with pride. Okay, Do they admit their need for God? Oh, goodness, no. They're boastful. They're proud. They even scoff at the very idea that they might need God. Do they submit to God? No, they do not. They are disobedient. Young people disobedient to their parents, but also adults disobedient to those who are in authority over them. They love only themselves, so they would never submit to anybody else. They'll be with you as long as it suits them, but as soon as they have to do something they don't want to do, they're out. Do they commit themselves to a relationship with God? No. They betray their friends. They don't consider anything sacred except themselves and their money and what they want. So what happens? They create, this is what the Word said, they create, they look religious, they create this external religion so that they can get the worldly benefits of a connection with God but without having the sacrifice of any, uh, to have to sacrifice their selfishness and pride. So they create rules and, and they create loopholes so they can exploit the loopholes for their own good. They polish up on the outside without worrying a single bit about what's actually going on on the inside. Jesus is, this is what Jesus said about people like this in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but you're filled on the inside with dead men's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You're like, well, John, that's just one scripture. Dude, like read the whole chapter. It's what we would call a rant. Jesus goes on this rant about pride and hypocrisy and the the external of religion without any attention to what's going on in the internal reality. The whole thing is about the pride of the Pharisees and how they've substituted religion for intimacy and authenticity. And the world hated the Pharisees. Everybody hated the Pharisees except for the Pharisees. And they thought they were awesome. Listen, the world is longing to see something authentic. They just want something real. But when they look at the church, when they roll away the stone of the whitewashed tombs, when they pull back the layers all they see are dead men's bones too often it's like the Wizard of Oz when, when Dorothy discovers that the great and powerful Oz is just a weird little dude behind a curtain who puts on a good show and, and my fear is that too many times when well intentioned Desperately seeking um, lost people come to our churches. That's what they find. They find a show. And it's a good show. I mean, there's a lot of great talent. There's, uh, there's many times a lot of great music. There's meticulous programming. There's an entertaining, sometimes even inspiring message from a rock star preacher who's as much convinced of his own greatness as he is the greatness of God. But when the world comes looking for something and they pull back the curtain, there's just nothing there that'll change their lives. Nothing that will fill that void that all of God's creation has for true intimacy with the Father. Remember what, John, what Jesus said in John 17. The intimacy that we have with Jesus is what convinces the world that Jesus is Lord. Without that, there's nothing to see. There's nothing to believe. You see, we love to play the victim. We love to to whine about how we're being persecuted by people. Oh, the world just expects us to be perfect. We can never meet up to that standard. Listen, if you've actually talked to some unbelievers, talked to some people who are not church people, very few, very few unbelievers expect believers to be perfect. What they do expect is for believers to actually believe on the inside, what they claim to believe on the outside. They expect us to have a real connection to God, have a connection that is personal, that's fulfilling, that's intimate. Like they expect us to have a relationship with Him that's working for us. Why would they want what we have when what we have ain't even working? for us. See, they don't need to know how proud we are of the show. They need to know how real you are about the things that all of us are struggling with. Like, can you get off your holy high horse and meet me at my point of need and show me somebody that can help me? That's what they want. They, they long for a father to comfort them and to protect them, to walk with them in the cool of the day. Someone who will be there for them. Somebody who will listen to what, they're, what they have to say. You say, John, my relationship with God, it just, it just seems academic. Like I, I know in my mind what I believe. I can even argue that all day. I get, I get the apologetics. I get all of that stuff. What I'm having a hard time with is sensing Him in my heart is knowing him as a real person. So I wouldn't really characterize what I have with Jesus as intimate. So what do I do? You want a relationship with Jesus that's more than academic, more than religion, more than a show? Jesus told us what to do. Humble yourself. Don't settle for anything but intimacy. Don't settle for a form of godliness and deny the power. Don't settle for religion. Because religion is not why Jesus died on the cross. Religion is not what he called people to. It's not what he invited people to. Religion isn't empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's, it, 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 he, the Holy Spirit is repelled by religion. Because it's not humble and it's not real everything you want from your relationship with God every valid reason for coming to God comes from intimacy intimacy and pride is what prevents spiritual intimacy so let me ask you a few let me ask you a few questions here's the admit section when's the last time you actually admitted to God that you needed him Like, God, I need you. Not that, God, I need you to do this for me, or God, I need you to do, God, like, forgive this word, but I don't know any other way to say it. Like, I I need you existentially. Like, I can't breathe without you. I can't do anything. I cannot continue to exist without you. Completely hopeless and helpless without you. When's the last time you admitted anything resembling that? When's the last time you confessed your sins? Or, you know, the stuff that happens on the inside that never comes out your mouth or out your hands. The stuff that, that you thinks behind closed doors and nobody's going to know about. He knows about it. So that's the admit part. Here, here's the submit part. When, what has God asked you to do that you just flat refused? See, there is this segment of, of people that, that I've encountered in ministry who are like, I just, I just want to know what God wants me to do. I just want to know His will. I just want to know what it is He wants me to do. And then there's a segment of people that we don't like to talk about in the church, but they know exactly what God wants them to do. They just ain't going to do it. That's the problem. That's hindering your intimacy. Are you submitted to the will of God in your life above all else? Or are you just trying to get him to help you achieve your goals? And then here's the, the, the committed part. How important is your relationship with God? Are you committed to Jesus above all things? Like if Jesus is pleased and everybody else is mad at you, is that enough? Or is Christianity just a decoration just a trophy on your shelf another goal to reach another thing to have on your resume it's like you're just going to stick a fish on your business card because it gets customers for you how committed are you if we're going to have an intimate relationship with Jesus we've got to admit submit Tell him you want an intimate relationship. Listen, this is a a prayer he'll hear. Tell him you want an intimate relationship with him. And then humble yourself. Listen to what he says. And then do it. And here's maybe the most important part. If you never got saved in the first place. If you never admitted that you were a sinner in need of a savior. Humble yourself today. And start there. We'd love to show you. We'd love to lead you there, and to help you find Him and finally submit your life to Him. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to take uh, just a few minutes to pray. Of course, we got some announcements to make at the end. Um, take a few minutes and just search your heart remember what we prayed at the beginning of the message God don't just give us wisdom to hear it and understand it give us the courage to actually do it and this is where the rubber meets the road if you want a relationship with the Lord He died to give you one nothing would please Him more so start talking to Him about it if you have something else going on in your life any other need you want to come and pray this altar is open do that as well Nobody's going to assume what it is that you're coming to pray about because we all need Jesus. And if he's drawing you to this altar, you come, and I know he'll meet you here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for for your word today, for your presence today, for the power that we sense today to change lives. Lord, I just pray that you would draw people to this altar draw people into conversation with you so that you can change their lives and I pray Lord for all of us I pray for all of us and I think as the pastor of this church I can do this Lord I pray that all of us would humble ourselves before you that all of us would submit ourselves to you would admit our dire and desperate need for you and commit our lives to serving and worshipping and following you so that this church And every other church who joins us in that commitment, Lord, would be able to make a difference in this community and see lives changed, souls saved, and your kingdom advance. In the name of Jesus, we pray